Everyone, good morning from Boulder, Colorado. Welcome to the first installment of our Young Stage Managers interview series. We will be posting interviews with stage managers all across the nation every week on Fridays. And for our first interview, I'm so happy to discuss assisting on Broadway with none other than Christopher Anaya Gorman. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great, how are you? All right, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Just a disclaimer for everyone, I have asked, no, he cannot share any secrets on Harry Potter. I tried bribing, it didn't work. Um, so, Christopher, I think we must go over the obligatory interview question, which is, your career trajectory. So where did you begin stage management and how did you get here? Um, well, I actually found stage management in college. Uh, I went to the University of Arizona where I originally set off to be a computer engineer. And after one semester in that, I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, and then a little soul searching and a couple conversations with um, some folks, including my mother, reminded me how much I enjoyed theater and that maybe I should just go do something that I like for a while until I find out what I want to do. Um, and that led me to our uh, theater program at the University of Arizona, where, of course, the first thing I thought I wanted to do was be an actor. Um, and I kind of set myself up to do that. Um, and I got, I was decent. I got into an alternate position um, with the program the following year. Uh, which meant, though, that I would be in the classes as an acting major, but I would not officially be in the BFA program, which meant that I could or could not have potentially wasted a year in the program. And having already changed my major, that wasn't really an option for me to extend another semester or full year on my um, degree seeking. So a mentor of mine at the time, um, who was a professor of mine, sort of just always said, or she observed me, I guess, and said, um, you seem to really learn by observing as opposed to like reading because we had other classes together. And so she knew some of my, um, you know, shortcomings, but she was right. I did learn by observing. And so she said, how about you just be a stage manager? And then that way you're in the room and you can just be with the directors, be with the actors. You'll learn the program as an actor, but just from the seat of a stage manager. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what a stage manager was. <laughs> Um, not a clue. All she said was, you'll be in the room. And I don't even think I really knew what that meant in terms of a stage manager, but it sounded interesting. And I found the um, uh, woman in charge of our stage management program. And I literally marched into her office and said, hi, I'm Chris. I want to switch to stage management and I want to be on this show. Uh, not knowing how any of the formalities work. I just was stubborn and said, this is what I want. Um, and so anyway, I joined the program and slowly but surely fell in love with stage management. I got matched up with the right mentors for the program, the other stage managers that were above me. At the time when I joined, there was only like three people studying stage management. Um, and then in my class alone, I was the only one directly in my class. And then I think the next year, like there was just a boom of stage managers. Uh, but in hindsight, I was, um, paired with the right individual who showed me the balance of fun and hard work, um, which I value to this day and I tell her all the time any chance I can get. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up graduating with a full BFA in stage management from there. And uh, I've been doing it since. 
So interesting. I kind of had the same trajectory, except you were in Arizona and now you're in New York City. So can you speak to, so you graduate from University of Arizona. What is the first decision that you make out of college? Um, am I going to pay the bills? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I graduated at the height of the recession in 2009. Um, and a lot of uh, individuals in my um, craft, like peers and people I had met along the way, were saying how, you know, jobs were scarce and that um, there was sort of a benefit to it, but also there was a shift in what, how others are seeing jobs right now. And what that really meant for me was that as a, someone who was graduating, I was already going to have to look for internships or apprenticeships, something in that scope. But what I had also heard was that because a lot of people were trying to rebalance their budgets um, from the recession, that some jobs that used to be sort of equity positions that they could have changed or jobs where they could have, where they were starting to open up equity jobs were becoming folded into this apprenticeship idea. Um, but I had done the right thing. I applied for two or three, um, which probably honestly wasn't enough. But I was lucky and um, I had interviewed for those. And then I ended up sort of waiting around that summer, unsure, hadn't heard anything, um, and sort of starting to really kind of worry what what was next for me because I was in Tucson, Arizona still. I was from New Mexico. I knew I didn't want to go back home, but I also didn't know what else to do with my degree and my craft if I wasn't going to have a job waiting for me in the theater. But uh, patience um, worked out and I had a woman that was my director for my last two shows in college who was also the associate artistic director for the regional theater in our um, college town at Arizona Theater Company. And because we had two shows together, we actually became really good friends even to this day. And she reached out saying that ATC was looking for two different jobs openings. One was actually in stage management as an intern for the season. And the other was an actual full-time job as the assistant to the production manager. Mm. And she thought I'd be qualified for both, but wanted to let me know and asked what I was doing, et cetera. So I applied for both and I was actually offered both, but I ended up um, sort of having to sit back and decide which was best for me. And actually I chose the assistant to the production manager job over the stage management job. And the reason for that was for me, it was financial. Um, I needed to pay my bills. I uh, come from a household with a single mother. And, you know, she was very honest from day one that there's no hidden money anywhere. And whatever I set off to do, I need to do on my own. And, um, but the advantage to that job was not only was I working in the office under the production manager and the associate, I also had to run crew as part of an ad needed basis for the show. So I was still going to get to execute and exercise my backstage knowledge, which in my mind uh, at the time meant that I was going to be busy and I was guaranteed overtime. Um, and uh, I was always saying yes. I was always someone who said, you need me for the weekend, you need me for the day, I'll do it. So anyway, that sort of set off my professional career. I worked there for two years. I met a lot of wonderful people. 
And that ended up taking me to uh, Utah Shakes that summer. And then because we were still in the recession period, um, after two years, Arizona Theater Company was ready to move me into the ASM position, which I was excited to do and I had said yes. However, that summer, when I was at Utah, they called and said that they restructured their season to accommodate a new budget, which meant that I would only get one of three shows for this season. Um, and they felt that I may not want that, but if I did, that the one show that I could have would be mine. But if I wanted to pursue other uh, opportunities, then that would be okay. Um, and the other thing is because also at that time, I didn't have the other job to fall back on because that one was also cut from the budget. So the job I had been doing for two years was cut to a part-time job. Um, and then, uh, and I knew, I knew at that point I wanted to get back into stage management. I had spent two years watching a lot of peers and colleagues. And of course I was visiting my university time to time and that energy from the room and shows and just listening to people and watching people do things in New York or elsewhere in stage management really started to creep in and I wanted to get back to it. Um, but I also really wanted to get to the East Coast. So um, that same woman that had called me for the job at Arizona Theater Company actually was moving to DC and becoming the director of education there. And she knew about what was happening at ATC and she <laughs> then called me again and said, we need a company management intern. And she says, I know it's not stage management, but we pay and we provide housing. So the two together is livable and you can get introductions to people on the East Coast. We'll get you there, all the sound logic. And I interviewed and was offered the job. So I headed to the East Coast that fall and I spent three and a half, almost four years in DC, uh, primarily at Shakespeare Theater Company. I also got the opportunity to work at Signature Theater um, and of course network with other individuals at other theaters, both through my company management role and my stage management duties. Um, I also did a little stint between company management and stage management at that theater at Goodspeed Musicals, where I got to do one show there, which of course one show there was almost five months. So that's always great. Um, so yeah, I set a path to do that. And then what happened after that? So then, yeah, so I moved to New York in on a whirlwind in the fall, October 1st, 2015. I remember the date. Um, and it was just very circumstantial and happenstance. I didn't plan for it. It kind of just happened to me. I had just finished up at Goodspeed again, where I returned after leaving my job in, at Shakespeare um, for different reasons, but I left the job and uh, I ended up working with an actor who saw something in me. Um, and so when he had the chance that fall, he put my name in for a Broadway show where I, uh, they actually needed an additional um, prompter for a show. And I, woke up to a phone call from the company management uh, member who was representing the GM company and they said this is what's going on this is what we need your name came to us through um, this person and are you available what's going on and it all happened so fast like they literally thought I was in New York it was number one they thought I was in New York I wasn't 
Um, and the only reason why they found that out was because I had said something about the weather in my response to how are you today? <laughs> and they were sort of like, wait, what, where are you? And I was like, oh, I'm in DC, you know, it's kind of gloomy, it's raining. And I guess in New York, it was a sunny day. So they were like, wait, hold on. Um, and it literally turned into, oh, I don't think this is gonna work. I don't, you know, we actually need someone who can start today. And I said, well, what time do you need them by? And he just said, well, we would really like someone here by seven o'clock PM. And I was like, well, I can be there. And they were like, wait, what? And I just was like, I can be there. I, and they were like, so you'd be willing to, if, if you were offered this, you would be willing to get to like pack some bags, get on a train and get here by then. I was like, I'll do you better. I have a car. So the moment you say go, I can hang up this phone and be in the car after a couple errands and get, and get there probably by four or five. Um, so they took that information, said they'd call me back. Five minutes later, they said, everyone agrees that they want you, that they want me. And um, they said, you, it sounds like you have some things you need to do and we'll see you at seven o'clock. So that was my introduction to New York City and my first Broadway show. Um, and the thing that I always like to share about that is that you never know where your next job is gonna come from because the person that gave me my Broadway break, as uh, we like to lovingly call, was an actor who was no one special at the time. I mean, I love him dearly now, but you know, he was a part of my act two places. Yeah, we spent four months together at good speed and we talked a little bit, but he wasn't, I wouldn't say the person I bonded with the most that summer, but he had dated um, someone who was a stage manager is, a stage manager and a Broadway stage manager for five or six years at the time. And so he knew what it took to be a good stage manager. He knew what qualities to observe. Um, and I guess he saw those in me. And as a result of that, he, when he was asked as the fellow prompter on the show that um, we trust your opinion. And he thought of me out of all the people he could have thought of. And that launched me into the New York scene I wasn't sure if I was going to stay or not after the first show because again it was sort of it happened I had no housing I had nothing no connection to New York whatsoever other than a couple individuals that I knew were here and the freelance life sort of scared me because I had been working regionally for the last 10 ish years so I had always been on a year or two year contracts at a time and I really liked that stability but then here I was New York limited engagement I knew it was closing at a certain time, but uh, I was lucky. I was asked to do a second Broadway show um, before that one closed, so I already knew that I had something to do, and it sort of just rearranged my life. I got rid of my apartment in DC, and I ended up becoming a PA on The Father at Manhattan Theater Club, mm. which is the show that got me my equity card. I had tried for my equity card several times over the years that I mentioned, and I was offered it um, three times, but circumstances and um, other things made me decide I wasn't ready or nor did I want my equity card at those times. But I knew that's what I wanted next because I actually turned down getting my equity card that fall when I was offered this Broadway show. But this Broadway show was gonna be a non-equity contract because I was not actually an actor or a stage manager on the show. Um, and that was a hard decision. I almost said no. I almost said no to this Broadway opportunity and to this role because I really, really had fought, especially those last three years, to get my equity card um, in DC and it wasn't happening. 
And finally I was getting offered it and I called a lot of mentors and said, what do I do? Uh, and in the end, you know, everyone was right. And I followed my gut instinct, which was just get to New York and see what happens. So um, the gentleman that called me for the father who had, I had also worked with in DC because he was a guest stage manager for us on the show. Um, he had tried to get me to New York shortly after working with me in DC. But of course I said, I can't work for, you know, the little pay that was currently happening at the time in New York City. Um, and so I was finally there and he said, I need a PA for my next show. And if you want it, it's yours. Like I won't even look for anybody else, which I totally value to this day. But true to his word, I got to sub on the show, which meant that I got my equity card with him. And it became a show that just kept on giving. I um, was a PA on it. I learned a lot about how PAs function on Broadway versus in the regional world because it was very different for me. Um, so I had a learning curve I needed to uh, grasp onto. I got my equity card. The show had a star in the show who we developed a strong working relationship and presence with each other that he was not okay with me leaving the show. So when he found out that my role ended at opening, he told the GMs that that wasn't going to happen. And I ended up having my contract extended to the length of the show. So when for me, I actually got uh, an additional paycheck and got to stay on the show. But because I was also the sub, it was really convenient for the stage management team to sort of get to um, use me and get to learn other things that I wouldn't normally have gotten to learn by having if I left the show right at opening. And that included, again, of course, as a sub, I got to learn the deck and run the deck when the state within the ASM was calling, but then the PSM also valued um, teaching their subs to call. So I also got to call my first Broadway show off of that. Um, and uh, it really just was a show that just kept giving and I'm thankful. Um, so that show happened. I ended up actually going to Miami that summer, um, which was my little break from New York. Um, but again, freelance and it was the thing that was happening for me. Came back to New York that fall. And again, I was a little figuring out New York. Um, I had some contacts, of course, from the shows I was doing and kept networking and reaching out. I got asked to do a show at, uh, at the new school, um, which they have a guest artist contract. Um, and so I was the ASM and then actually bumped up to be the PSM when the original PSM got a, another opportunity that they took. Um, and then I actually went to, they, uh, they asked me back, they wanted me to come back and do a show, but then I was offered a regional contract at, Cleveland Playhouse. So I actually left again, but another funny story is I got that job because I was on the subway and there was a gentleman that I had worked with back at Arizona Theater Company on the train. And I have not seen him since I was in Arizona. And he was just on the train and it was one of those days where I was tired and I had gotten a seat on the subway and I was so thankful for that. And I saw him at the other end of the train and I just, part of me was like, oh, I'll just text him or call him saying that I saw him and you know, it was good to see him, but because I just want, I wanted my seat. I did. I really was tired that day and I wanted my seat, but he was there and I just said, you know what? I'm going to get up and go say hi. So I gave up my seat, walked down to the end of the train. We, I tapped him on the shoulder. We, he, we hugged. It was like, oh my God, how are you? I filled him in on a little of my life. Um, and two weeks later, he texted me saying, are you available for the show? Because I just lost my assistant. 
um, all because I happened to reconnect with him on the train that day. So I ended up going to Cleveland Playhouse um, and uh, it worked out perfectly because at that point I had also already landed my PA role on um, the Aladdin National Tour, which was going to be uh, originated out of Chicago. Um, and it was only going to be like four days apart. So it was perfect. Like I said, I'm going to get equity weeks. I'm going to get my experience at a regional theater that I don't know, um, which I thought was going to strengthen me for Aladdin. And of course, it was from like New York, Ohio to Chicago that it was just this perfect little loop. And uh, so I ended up doing that. Um, and I went to Chicago. I did the Aladdin tour. Um, that was about four months in Chicago, which was fantastic. I was there through opening. Um, and then I moved back to New York after that, uh, finished up because I had was given another job opportunity in New York right afterward. Um, and then since that time until we, where we are now, I've been in New York steadily. I've not had to leave for work. I've been consistent in New York City. Um, and that has led me to three Broadway shows, starting out as P, a PA and subbing on two of the three. Um, and getting to ASM, two, three off-Broadway shows, um, and one of which I actually got to bump up and um, hold the reins as the PSM for the last two weeks of the run. Um, and yeah, and then where we just left off with the um, shutdown was I was the ASM on 72 Miles to Go at Roundabout Theatre Company, which we made it to opening that Tuesday, and we did one show Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon is when they said, we're gonna shut down for the month. Um, but I was also a sub at Jacket at the time. So uh, I was layering in sub dates with them. And the following week was, was I was gonna start this, um, this balance between part-time at each of them uh, for my own negotiation that I had done with them because the Jagged uh, had meaning to me that it was worth fighting for in the negotiation. And thankfully I had a history with roundabout so we had a nice chat and were able to accommodate um what i wanted um and uh everyone was on board and that's sort of where we left off and now we're just waiting nice thank you moral sure. story kids talk to people on the subway okay <laughs> take out your earphones and talk to people because it will get you your next job no um so one thing i want to it is true see i'm i'm a i'm a quiet new yorker and i would never but <laughs> I mean, I can say that people, I mean, it's, I got jagged little pill because I ran into the PSM at an equity meeting and said hi. Mm -hmm. And he thought I was not available, but turned out I was. And he put me on the show. You were very proactive. I love your story of- the thing is, It's not even, pro I, mean, I mean, yes, it's proactiveness, but, it, but the thing is my intent wasn't give me a job. It was like, I know you even a little bit and I'm going to say hi. I'm going to just be yeah. a decent human being and say, how are you? Yeah. Um, I want to touch on, you discussed um, experiencing the differences between production assistant, assisting on regional versus on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you can speak to, in a Broadway sense, your roles and responsibilities as a production assistant. I find that the roles, um, it's a good question because I wish someone had told me sort of more what the expectations were for Broadway when I actually had my first chance, um, because I did, I fell into the category of, even though I had worked with the PSM before at a regional theater, 
where I knew everything and I knew sort of how, like what I was comfortable doing and not doing. Uh, but he recognized things in me and he said that I had an instinct that you just can't teach, which I'm thankful for. But that instinct that I had needed to be sheltered a little bit more in the Broadway network only because um, of the way that things get assembled. And it's also sort of just show to show. Um, I have done now again, seven commercial productions, um, five of which directly on Broadway and two national tours. But um, the team breakdown is, is sort of based on who are your leaders and what the show needs and also sort of where it's at in the process. Mm. Um, you have to be ready to do anything and everything, but in terms of Broadway, you will find yourself more out and about as a PA, out and about running errands. And that may include having to get the paper from Staples when you're running low, getting the ink, um, meeting your props people and or other individuals coming in and out of the room to help them get to the rehearsal room, um, getting coffee for the director, getting their lunch, making orders for stars. Um, and what that all really means to say is that you, you might not always be in the room. You will miss staging. You will not always be up to date on the most um, uh, most happenings of things. Whereas when I was in the regional theater, I had never left the room as a PA, like other than to maybe go get this actor who wasn't there ready to do their scene. That's natural. But this idea of running around the city and doing errands and doing legwork for the simplest of things, just like was nothing in my vernacular at the time. Uh, so that was very new to me. So that's sort of always, I think, a steady uh, duty um, for PAs on Broadway. But it's also, again, is the team, I mean, is, is it a musical where there's three stage managers, maybe four, and then you have two to three PAs? Or is it a play where more often than not, you get one of each. You get one PSM, one ASM, and one PA, and you're a team of three, and then therefore you're getting to do a little more of the paperwork. Um, for uh, Jagged Little Pill, that one was an interesting one because I had actually started with the show when it was doing its um, Boston Lort uh, production, but it had already had the commercial enhancement behind it. So there was hopes and plans for it to go to Broadway and all of those individuals on that commercial side were with us and um, in the background, but it was primarily a Lort production. It was primarily an ART production. It was their show um, because it might not have made it to Broadway and all it would have been is a uh, ART show. But um, that one was a beast. That one was very intricate. And uh, myself and the other PA that was hired with me, we had two. We're both equity. We're both um, have had our own careers and our own rights. Um, and we knew, and we knew what at that point knew what it took to be a stage manager, um, and we knew what it took to get certain things done and what to look out for. And that ended up helping us in the long run. That we were able to just create documents that um, ended up serving the production as a whole, and still to this day are used. But if you ask me how um, comparing that to like Anastasia tour that I did. As the PA, I didn't, you know, I had no um, role as creating any kind of special paperwork. It was more a dissemination of duties from the first. You're generally following what the first says. I have found that, you know, a lot of times, like there's, there's always a special relationship between an ASM and a PA, but I find that that relationship is even 
um, greater in the commercial field because in the regional world, and I've worked at, I can't even, I had a little count, but I would say I worked probably at six plus regional theaters. Um, and it's all sort of the same that the stage managers more, the PSM as we would call them, the, you know, the, the leader of the stage management team is sort of the one that we're all in communication with. And not to say this doesn't happen on Broadway, but the, but, but the direct like day-to-day, -day, hey, what do you need me to do? Hey, what can I do for you? Um, X, Y, and Z sort of momentum comes directly from the first. Like you're sort of getting your duties from the first on Broadway and keeping up with them and you have more of a rapport with them um, than you do the PSM. Whereas in regional, I felt that that PSM still had a lot more of their like, uh, that that role of like, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? Um, as opposed to sort of going to like, you know, sort of letting them manage the 171 producers, et cetera, <laughs> and the commercial aspects of the show. Um, I don't know, did that make sense? It's a little hard without having been there. Um, so I hope that gives some clarity. It does, thank you. Um, so if you were to have an intern on a production, would you be um, delegating to that intern or would that be, where would they go to on the team structure? Uh, the intern is, uh, so actually when I did The Secret Life of Bees, we had an intern. Mm -hmm. We actually decided that, um, well, the PSM that I had, Samantha Watson, she felt going into the show, the actual production, because she had been with the show, um, I think three times they had done the show or a variation of, they had done the reading, the workshop, another workshop and another reading. Um, by the time we actually made it into production and we're doing the show that folks got to see at Atlantic Theater. But um, she called me after I was hired and said that she really felt that we needed another team member on the show um, and that she had talked to the right people and got approval to hire an intern. And so we ended up hiring um, this amazing kid uh, who uh, actually wasn't really a kid. He was a education, um, uh, I was an education director, but his 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 life was uh, was not theater is the point. And he decided he wanted to be a stage manager in the last year and wanted to get experience and be in the room of any room. And at the time, Secret Life of Peace was his largest production he got to be a part of. And so he was very eager, very willing to just do what we needed to do. So that really actually set us up to use him a little more how I was used to as a um, Broadway PA in my mind, because Samantha had done Broadway, I had done Broadway. Um, the show had commercial enhancement and there was plans for it to transfer. So we had a very Broadway mindset in the room. Um, and that in turn, I, yes, I was primarily the person that was um, delegating to both my actual PA, who I considered more an ASM, like my left-hand man, for a lot of the stuff going on in the room because it was a lot, and then uh, allowing the PA to take on a little more. Um, but also uh, having you know, a watchful eye, because also I knew that he hadn't done, he didn't go to school for this, he didn't know some of the things that were going on. Um, but that's not, but uh, Samantha was also very much involved in things that he needed to do at times, but uh, it was very much me being like, hey, Thomas, I need you to go do this, I need you to go do that, or like actually leave the room or go run these errands or um, whatever that may be. And then just Samantha would be like, oh, where's Thomas? And I was like, oh, he's out running errands because of X, Y, and Z, and she'd be like, okay, great. Um, but we also had a script PA in the room, so Samantha and the script PA worked a lot closer together than I think her and my intern or PA. Like, we all, of course, did check-ins, and we were very much conscious of what everyone was doing, but 
again, we sort of found ourselves in the environment that as the assistant stage manager, um, I was delegating uh, most of their day-to-day. -day. Mm. Thank you. Um, I want to go back to something that you said, um, that somebody told you that you had a unique uh, instinct, sense of instinct. Um, and and uh, I'm curious as to what you mean by this instinct as a PA, and if you can give us a vague example of when you use that instinct. Good question. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, I understand it because I also look for it too. Like, I, it's, it's something. It, I, I, it's just one of those things you can't teach, mm -hmm. but it's also one of those things that really gets somebody ahead. And we all have it in a different ways. Um, but I think what this individual meant for me at the time was we had done a production um, together uh, at Shakespeare Theater, and. Um, It was a show that I actually really loved, but I think part of it was I remember once in rehearsal, the um, actor, like one, one of the actors, because it was a comedy, um, was sort of um, tripping up over some lines that sort of came really fast. Mm -hmm. And because we were sort of shifting, you know, and staging how we were presenting that, getting to stay with the lines and the action were a little difficult. And he ended up asking, hey, can you know, at some point, can I get the, um, the, uh, the text in this book so that I can, you know, not have to worry about carrying my papers and or like forgetting the lines when we're staging. Um, and everyone in the room was like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. But they took it as like a, we'll get to it but my mind took it as well we're doing the scene right now and we're seeing him struggle and we keep stopping so i literally ripped out my page and i cut it to the size of the book and just started walking towards him and everyone just saw me and waiting like oh my god that's great and the director was like oh my god thank you and the actor was like oh my god thank you and we were able to actually stage the scene the way that we wanted and then once they continued i just stepped out reprinted a new page and stuck it in my book um and it was sort of those things where it's like my, you know, everyone was sort of like, everyone wanted to do it. Everyone wanted to help him. But, you know, again, it was just this idea of like, oh, well, you're giving us a timeline to say, can we do it eventually? Whereas I saw the room as like, it needed to happen now. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. Um, and there was also um, another moment in the show where there was this like loud noise um, coming from, off stage and we hadn't really developed what that was yet but it was again it was clear to me that we needed something and i just ended up looking around my feet and i found this um jewelry box that uh, costumes gives us as just stock jewelry in case we ever find ourselves needing like a necklace or whatever but it was basically almost like a makeshift crash box and when we got to the scene again i just started like the moment there was this like you know, this PSM would just say noise. And we all knew that meant noise off stage. But then I just, all of a sudden one day, I just started rattling the shit out of this thing. <laughs> and everyone turned and looked at me, but it made sense. And no, and it just, it ended up working. And I ended up doing it for every rehearsal up until we got to tech and until we got a real crash box. And um, it was just sort of those kind of things where it's like you read the situation, whether it's uh, an actor or whether it's during staging or whether it's with your team that you just, you sort of 
read the situation and respond to it appropriately. And again, appropriately is subjective, um, but I think it's, I, I think for that individual stage manager, it was that, like it was sort of those things that I did during that process where he said, you get what needs to get done on a lot, like, like you think bigger picture um, and you help solve things that you can in the room. Um, because it was also one of my, that show was one of my favorite makeshift props in the moment. The actor had to have a top hat and the top hat was apparently his size, but it kept sliding down. And I called the wardrobe department and I said, do you have another hat we could use? Cause it's really messing us up. And they were like, no, we don't. And I told the PSM that I said, they said they don't have another one. So he's like, okay, but it just kept, and it was getting, it was starting to bother the director that this hat kept messing up his eye vision and like, it just was not working for him. Um, and so after I just kept, kept hearing these complaints um, about it, that I just was like, I got to find something to make this hat fit. <laughs> and I actually went to the stage management kit and I pulled out a maxi pad and I padded the hat with the maxi pad, the two different maxi pads that actually ended up working perfectly. And I literally just went up to him in the middle and I said, hey, come here, took off the hat. He's like, what are you doing? He's sized like, oh my God, don't tell. And it was funny, but like, that's what it was, but it worked. And the director was happy. He was happy that he no longer had to like get me worried that the director was unhappy that he couldn't act because of this hat and it fit. And so that was our solution. But it was just those sort of things that I think is again, where um, you can really bring something to a room if you are sort of that engaged in the problem solving. Yeah, I, I love that uh, you found your passion for both props and sound design in those moments. Um, no. um, so there's a lot of moments of, ex of excitement and spontaneity. And on that, I'm wondering, like, what is your favorite if you had to choose one, your favorite aspect of assisting? Um, I think, I mean, that, I mean, I, there, there are definitely many things and I think it depends on what arena we're in. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite thing about assisting is getting to sort of usually, and again, I say this with a grain of salt, um, I have found myself on more new works than not, mm -hmm. either as a PA or an assistant. Um, and the one thing that I have found that I have come to enjoy being a part of the new work arena as a PA assistant is that since I'm the one sort of always up on my feet already when we're sort of creating new structure to a scene, whether that be new props or how to handle things or where things should go, um, because I have all the information on like how things connect with each other more directly than the PSM. Like, you know, they, they have it too, but they're watching so many other things that like, I know that in the next scene, if we change this, it means that, mm. um, or that this item is actually still available or this item hasn't been used yet. And I requested it on the prop list two weeks ago, but it, you know, seems like something that's going to be helpful here. Um, that I get to sort of suggest and offer up insight to those sort of, um, challenges or moments of staging that come up uh, in terms of, you know, progression of, you know, the staging for the director and the actors. So that would sort of be, I think that would be the number one uh, in terms of just narrowing it down to one thing. Uh, I don't know if you meant specifically with the stage management team alone, but that is sort of what comes to mind. 
Yeah, for I appreciate your handling these questions. I know that there's like an internal monologue of like, okay, I need to pick one thing out of these multitude of responsibilities. Um, so I must ask the, uh, the, the opposite of what is the most difficult thing of assisting and why? I think my answer is gonna be more specific towards where I'm at in my career as opposed to um, speaking for everyone. Sure. But as someone who has shifted between, cause in addition to PA and AS, I mean, I have stage managed um, a few workshops and um, a couple regional productions as well. So I've, I've been in all seats that a stage manager can have. Um, and I believe I naturally have a stage manager's instinct, a you know PSM instinct to problem solve or think ahead or look at the bigger picture. And I think for me, the times when I find myself as an assistant in positions where I am not actually the one to really offer up a suggestion at the time and or deliver a final verdict, um, I have to sometimes just sit back and let them do what they need to do. Um, in terms of a conversation or uh, making a decision about something, whether it's, you know, how should our schedule go tomorrow? Or what are our options if we do this or do that? Um, and I don't discount anyone I've ever worked with for doing what they do, but I just find myself at times over hearing or being again on the sidelines to a conversation where a lot of times I see a director just needing more guidance than I think some stage managers give them in terms of, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I, completely throw the schedule out the window and do this instead or um and a lot of times and for me and i was taught too i was taught sort of you know do whatever the director wants and help them form that path but sometimes i've also been in a place situation where i've said hey just so you know if if, if, if you want to start rehearsal at 11 that's your call we just have to end by this time and you know whatever x y and z um because i just feel that they're sometimes looking for I just need one more hour to myself in the morning. I need to really do this interview, but I don't want to be away from rehearsal for the hour. You know, how can I? And I think that to me is where I struggle with being the assistant, where it's sort of not my place always to do that. And, you know, sometimes you build a relationship with someone uh, as a PSM, ASM relationship, and you get to very much bounce those ideas off of each other. But sometimes those conversations come up very uh, in the moment that, you know, there's no time to bounce those ideas. So I, I find myself when it's sort of when I'm ready to, or when I have that mindset of greater problem solving, but I'm in the role as assistant to be sort of more of a struggle for myself. Right. I'm just, just side question. What's your, what's your sign? Do you believe in horoscopes? <laughs> well, I, I mean, yes, because I have a tattoo of my sign. So uh, uh, I, I am a Taurus. Okay. I am dead center, stubborn as hell, but also <laughs> very much logical and, you know, dedicated, so. Because I relate to what you said so much in assisting, and I'm an Aries, so I'm very passionate. Um, so I was, I was just curious. Um, so thank you. Um, I have a question. So some of the, some of the questions I've been asking have been from our Facebook and Instagram at Young Stage Managers have to plug it within the interview. Um, another question from Facebook is, what is something that you wish you knew when you began your career? 
That question is all, it's, it's interesting because that question always is, I think it's just sort of like a nice plug and play for so many of these interviews. Um, and it's really hard to answer that question because I think just going back to what you said about zodiac signs, I am someone who definitely feels if you didn't do all the things you did previously, you wouldn't be where you are today. So would that advice really have changed anything for you or would you have wanted it to change anything for you? So that's my like, you know, spiritual answer. But um, again, if I have to sort of look back at my career, I think, I don't think it's really about what I wish somebody had told me. I wish it's what somebody had taught me. Mm -hmm. um, and that is simply the art of um, interviewing um, and the art of um, uh, that sort of networking combo mm -hmm. because it's something I've had to learn on my own over the years. And, um, and the reason I say that is because you, we all know there, there, there are more stage managers than there are jobs most of the time um, and all the time. But uh, many people get to get called in for an interview. And so it's that moment of, yes, there may be nine other people coming in today to have to, for the same job you want, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that you got to be one among them. And so those, you were there because honestly, the people that ask you to be there want you to be the one. They want to stop looking for, you know, to fill the position. They don't, they like want to get their team already solidified so they can start actively using everybody and start thinking ahead about how this team is going to work. So um, the, the, the intimidation of people feeling like they're still not worthy to even be a part of the team because, you know, it, it's just an interview. I'm always like, the, celebrate the interview because that means you were, you were one of however many people getting to actually get the chance to try and get the role. So get that out of your head um, and focus on the interview in terms of what you can bring to the team, but also what, what this team or show or experience may bring you. Um, of course, there's definitely a style to interviewing and always have the questions and be engaged and all that. But um, I wish someone had taught me that because in my undergrad, which I really, really value um, in hindsight, having worked with so many people that had different programs or no programs at all or lack thereof, um, I saw how lucky I was. But one thing that we never were really given the chance to was figure out how to navigate the job markets, how to... Um, decide where you want to work, what market you want to be in. Um, okay, I just got this offer, but I'm currently unavailable, but I really, really want to work for this company or this person. How do I, you know, how do I simply respond to this without coming off as don't ever call me again? Or, you know, like how, like, how do you maintain I'm unavailable right now because I'm doing this, but please, please, please think of me in the future. Like all of those things, um, were never really taught um, or explained to me. And in my early career, I was very stressed when it was, again, because I, I had just started in D.C. and actually Broadway had called me when I, like literally a month after arriving in D.C. But I knew I couldn't just throw my hands up and say, oh my God, Broadway called, I'm going to go PA for them. Because I had already, the company had already waited four months for me to finish another job to get me in at the job that I had just taken. So I couldn't just run towards the shiny light, but I was like, well, this 
Broadway GM just called me and I don't know how they got my info, but they did. And, but I'm unavailable. Like I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I did not know how to respond to that call. Like I know how to handle it now. And I called people and I, you know, I handled it, but um, I, I, I mean, but it was, it was, I just really didn't know what to do internally in those moments. So I think that's where I wish um, someone had just again, shown me the reality of a, the business um, in terms of going from job to job. Thank you. What I what I appreciate you in saying that is also that in the beginning of the interview, you're talking about making connections and having interviews being in different states that it seems like you really paved your own path and that you are very your your style of, of networking is very proactive, is very spontaneous, which for me personally in my training is is very fresh and it's very different from what I'm taught. So I'm glad that you speak on that. Um, I wanna I wanna shift gears because you are doing double duty on many shows. You are a production assistant. You are also subbing for stage managers. So um, you talked about um, learning the call. Um, I'm interested in a Broadway process, and I know we can't condense it all to one, but common trends. Um, what is the process of either learning a call or deck track? Um, well, the, the process is going to vary on uh, how much you know the show. Like for if, I, if, if you were a PA on a Broadway show where you were already in the room, you were with them through tech, you were with them through opening, you know the people, you know the crew, you know the cues for the most part. Um, you know the songs, you know the numbers, you know the faces. Like, like if you know all those things because you were a PA and with the show, um, the process is still very much the same, but you have that leg up because there, 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 there's less um, downloading that the ASMs have to worry about giving you. Mm. Um, so it's a little easier, and that's why it's often best to use your PAs as your subs because they are the next best person that knows the show and also... Um, there's a, um, there's a, my, it doesn't always happen, but there is a mindset that your PAs worked for very little money or were the backbone of a lot of your, um, long days that, uh, it's sort of a, um, it's good for morale for your team and for them and for yourself if you get to bump up your PAs. Mm-hmm. In terms of the actual process to learn a track, um, so if you so if you know the show already, it's a little easier um, because again, you know all the things. You're just learning how the show was structured during tech to make it fit into this room or this theater because again, you know how it worked in the room where you had to move, you know, the huge ass Christmas tree against the wall here or else if you didn't it got trapped over here it's the same thing where like you just have to learn because as a PA you're not always on deck during tech um, if at all and um, if you are it's not for every single moment so you don't know where that tree tracks so it's just learning that like okay you have to know that the crew has to get that tree by this time or else we're screwed for this next transition Um, and you're sort of learning um, in my opinion, I have found that as a Broadway sub versus someone who's on the deck for regional theater, you're having to, um, there's, there's a little more care in knowing exactly how everything works backstage because on Broadway and tours, 
the IATSE members shift can shift very often. Um, you may have your starting crew that starts with you on a show, but it's not like a regional theater where you have the same crew from beginning to end and maybe you get one replacement or maybe you get one person who has a weekend off um, and you don't really have to worry that they're gonna, you know, forget something or not be present. You know, you still have to watch things, but there's a little more, um, I find that there's more awareness in the fact that like, okay, well this, today we have, you know, Michael on prop stage, right? And then by, and then for the afternoon or for the evening show, you're gonna have Paul. And then for the Sunday show, you're gonna have Eric back. And it's like, you've gone through three people on the same track and they're bouncing around just as much um, in those tracks that you're sort of like, okay, who is the person on this track now? And like, you really have to watch, okay, now's the time to go do this. And again, they're all very great. They're all, you know, they have their own learning techniques that they're learning from their, people but sometimes you get someone who's you know may come up to you and say hey remind me is this on this queue or that queue um and you have to be able to know that um so we'll have our you know we'll have our deck sheets um they're generally split uh between the sides of the stage stage left and stage right um or sometimes if there are bigger shows you have a you know a, a basement track or you have a you know a um fly track where you have to go meet certain places and those are all delineated between the number of people you have. And again, those are sort of dedicated to one. Um, in regional theater, I find that since there's usually one ASM, the ASM is floating a lot more between stage left, stage right, the fly in the basement, because they kind of feel like they have to be everywhere as the only equity member on a contract sometimes. But uh, for Broadway musicals, there's generally, again, two people on deck um, most of the time. Uh, or the deck track gets built with two people and then sometimes solidified into one track because um, of budgets and et cetera. But um, yeah, you're, you're sort of, you're going into the show, you're meeting the people, you're given, you know, a, the, the contract of course also states how many, how many times you're at minimum gonna be given to train on a show and it's up to the discretion of the PSM and the GM to talk if the show requires more training of an individual because of the show and the circumstances. Um, I find that happens more with the calling of a show as opposed to the deck of a show. Right. Because um, when I trained on uh, Mean Girls and Jagged, I think I, I, I was given the, I think I was given the four shows at Mean Girls and three shows at Jagged. Mm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just like you 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 tend to shadow um, the first show and you take your notes, you have their paperwork, you do what you need to do, you ask your questions, you observe and you'll talk it out. And then the second show or third show, depending on how intricate the track is, you might shadow twice, you might shadow once, but generally after the second time, if you needed that many, you're the one then running the track with the actual ASM observing you and shadowing you to make sure you under, understand it. And then if that goes well, then the fourth or fifth time you're on your own um, and you're doing it solo. Um, and at that point you're you know, deemed approved and you can do the track. Of course, that means you sometimes have to go home and do your homework and still kind of make it make sense to you or get that one thing that you, you know, need to figure out how to make sense for it in your brain. It's also their, their, their paperwork might not work for you. So you ha you know, it's okay to take notes, it's okay to change not you know not their document but right. if you need to make your own document that will help you run the track as swiftly as the person who taught it to you then by all means do that like don't be afraid to you know create what you need to be successful at that job 
Um, and that's also a lesson you need to learn, like that, that one has to learn. Like I remember a couple of my first times, I was like, oh my God, this is theirs. They're the ASM, they're the Broadway ASM. I'm not, and like, uh, I don't want to touch anything or, you know, whatever, but it's really about, you're not changing anything. You're just making different words make sense for the exact same job for you. Right. Um, and then calling is very different. Um, it's not very different, but it's the same sort of method. You uh, Generally, there's a call script that is, um, pre-typed out if by, I mean, by the time you're learning to call by the time unless you're the first but if we're i'm talking about subbing in terms of this has already been done before um there's already a digital call script that has been created and you'll get to you know hit file save as your own version and you'll um sit next to the caller whether it's the psm or the first um and learn you know you'll observe them and observe them and you'll take your notes and then you'll have the opportunity to watch a video call video, which is the show recorded um, through an in-house camera and it has the stage manager's voice connected to the feed. So you can actually hear exactly where they're calling and you know, where they're doing their standbys. So there's generally a little balance between shadowing them, sitting in the office and, you know, calling along to the video or, you know, sometimes you need to tell SM that you need to sit with them again for this section to really take a couple more notes. You'll talk to them, you'll communicate with them. Hey, for this section, what do you do here? For this section, I noticed this. And you'll just, it's an open communication for all, all of it. You don't need to be like, oh my God, I didn't get it. So like, I'm gonna mess up or I'm gonna, I can't ask the question. You, you, if you don't know, you, you need to ask. Um, right. And, and then that's, that's, all, that's all pre-built in and that's all like, great. Uh, and then you might start, learn or you might start first calling um the book scenes as opposed to the transition so you so you'll both be on headset eventually and you'll start to call um you know great all of the crazy transitions are done and now we're in the scene and it's really calling lights on this person crosses stage left this person sits down there's build up in the lights here so you know things that won't necessarily injure somebody if you call it a little off um Gen, you know, so, so you'll generally call the book scenes and then you'll start calling a couple of the transitions that are a little easier and then you'll call like the harder transitions and then eventually you'll give the full pass uh, is generally how the call of a show works when you're learning. Thank you. Um, when you're learning the call from a from the current calling stage manager, um, is it a common uh, expectation for you to adopt their language when calling? So. Um, I would say yes. Um, I, yes, because, because if it's not, I can understand that you might say, okay, I'm a, I'm a lights person versus an electrics person in terms yeah. of the vernacular, but generally those terms are already sort of, um, predetermined by what environment you're in. So for Broadway, a lot of times like Alex is sort of the, the, the vernacular that's carried across. But again, depending on, well, it, not even that. So I guess I should just say, when you come in to call a show, um, you have your main crew. You have everyone that has been doing that show, whether it's a month or a year long. They know what they're listening for, for their standbys. They know what they, what, what, what they have come to understand from you as the caller's mouth that yes, you're, you know, it, it, I think it's best to just sort of say, this is how they, you know, you know, you know, the, you know, it was standby auto deck 150 on the red. Whereas some people, you know, they don't necessarily, I have 
seen call scripts, I haven't called them, but I've seen call scripts on shows I've done where, you know, the show is a little more simple. So to have to identify every single color that gets used in the cue light system is not that important because it's usually one or two cue lights at a time. Whereas, you know, a crazy show that needs like, you know, six cue lights to stand by a transition, that color might be a little more something you want to include in your wind up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say your best bet is to use exactly the same terminology. So, okay. I know, I know, I know, I know I made a disclaimer at the beginning of the interview that you can't share any Harry Potter secrets. So with that in mind, I understand if you can't answer my question to its full extent, but I'm wondering as we're speaking about transitions, as a production assistant on The Cursed Child, what is what is the hardest deck move or or a transition backstage during the show? Well, I can't say much. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, every show has its own. I mean, the thing is, to answer that question, every show has its own um, technical elements and how those get layered in in terms of your question of difficult or um, uh, challenging or life-threatening even sometimes uh, depend on the show. Mm -hmm. um, so to say that there's like a difficult deck move I don't think is how I would describe functions on not just that show, but any show, like, again, like, uh, sometimes what, you know, what you may think is like, oh, this is the transition that we're all going to get caught up on, may eventually smooth out and be the one that's the easiest once it's all sort of figured out and said and done. And then actually it's something else where you have to really know that this person goes here and that person goes here and then you're clear to make this thing happen, but it's a part cue. So this has to go. And then th these people have to get here in order to get this other thing going. Um, so I think it's just, you know, again, depending on what the show elements are, it's a little different. But also, um, as the stage managers, you're, you're, you'd like, since, you know, as a Broadway house, you're not, you're not the one making, you know, moving and touching things, because that's what the IA uh, individuals are there for. So it's not necessarily the same, con I mean, I don't know what the NYU exact setup is um, in terms of how they teach you, but, uh, you're a lot more hands-off, so you're watching a lot more things. So to say that one is harder, I can say it's harder for certain crew individuals, but um, I'll just say that contingencies are good if you really need to have contingencies. Thank you. You navigated around that so smoothly. Great job. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, as an ASM at, at Tish, I'm definitely trying to implement ASM's adopting that practice of like, actually, when you're in this sort of theater, you're not going to be touching. So um, observing as much as possible. Um, I, before we end our time together, I have in the spirit of my mentor, Evangeline Whitlock, I would love to answer some lightning round questions right off the bat. Um, so the first lightning round question is, do you prefer Word or Excel? Both. Okay, that is um, not the question. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. It varies on the paperwork. Once upon a time, I was all Excel. 
but there are some documents I've created that for the ease of other people having to jump in and do it, I have, I have had to switch to Word a couple of times. Okay. Just so I'm thankful they both exist. For me, anything but Google Sheets, we're all good. Hey, Google, don't ever yeah, Google. Yeah, right. Hello. Don't buy into that organization. Okay. Mechanical or number two pencils? Mechanical. Okay. Font of choice? Whatever the show font is. Good assistant. Um, number one stage management kit essential? Oof. Well, I haven't had a kit in I don't know how long, but I make sure, oh, have something that makes the director happy. Ooh, good answer. I like that. Um, great. So that concludes all of my questions. I want to thank you so much for spending time with us and answering our questions. Of course. Thanks for having me. I hope it was informative for you and everyone else. Yes. So that was our first interview in our series, everyone. If you want to come to our next week's meeting with Nicholas George Brown, and uh, every week we'll be posting an interview on Young Stage Managers. So follow our Facebook and Instagram, all on that handle. And I'll see you soon. <laughs>